Welcome to this special episode of Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. This episode was recorded live at the Business School as a panel of experts talked about the What Women Want project, created by Kantar to celebrate and explore the last 100 years of marketing to women in the UK. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight to our uh, What Women Want uh, event. So I'm Andrew Stephen, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the Associate Dean of Research here in the uh, Side Business School, L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and also the Director of the Oxford Future Marketing Initiative. I'm really, really excited to be uh, kicking off this event and, and hosting it tonight, uh, which is in collaboration with, with Kantar, who is one of our founding partners of our Oxford Future Marketing Initiative. So it's really great to do this uh, event together this evening and talk about uh, really the role of gender and diversity, and in particular women, in, uh, in advertising, how it's been portrayed over the last hundred years, as well as present some, some new studies and new findings, new research uh, that Kantar has uh, produced as part of their What Women Want um, uh, work. And, and you can see the, ex uh, the exhibition out in the foyer. I'm sure you've looked at it already. Uh, we'll have an another chance after this session tonight to have a look at that. Okay, so at this point, I will invite our panelists uh, to start uh, coming up. So I'd like to welcome Philippa Snare, who's the uh, EMEA CMO for Facebook, um, Justine Roberts, who's the founder and CEO of Mumsnet and Grandsnet, Bart Michels uh, from Kantar, and uh, Felipe Tomas, Associate Professor of Marketing here at the Said Business School. So I'm sort of going to take the liberty of asking a bunch of questions to begin with. So. I'd like to kick it off actually with just just inviting if we sort of maybe go down the panel with with perhaps some just initial quick reactions to to the uh, the research and insights we heard from Amy and Harry um, because I think it, you know there's a lot there and a lot to unpack as as we saw and I know you've seen it all before so you've maybe had more time to think about it so so perhaps uh, Philip if we start with you what what's a, a key takeaway from some of that work um, so I think the one thing that um I care about deeply and like kind of we care about as a company it, um, is this confidence issue um, uh, and it seems to be um, a, a barrier to stop women uh, doing what they, they can do and they should be doing all the time so um, that's one area where we're working not only internally but externally to try and figure out how we can uh, work out what's driving that um, and then also try and remove as many of the, um, uh, of the issues so that women are um, feeling confident that they can build businesses, they can uh, start their own companies, they can be contributing to society in the way that men show up. So that's an area that we, we care about deeply. Yeah, I think, I think it's that, um, you know, the self-esteem and empowerment points that, that Amy is talking about. I think that, that all sorts of media channels, you know, not just Facebook need to think really hard about in terms of how they provide platforms and content to um, to help facilitate that empowerment and those positive messages. So, so it's, uh, it's it's very good to hear that. How about uh, from your perspective, Justine? Yeah, I think what um, when we looked at um, the historical sort of movement of ads from when we started, um, I was kind of shocked about how awful it was. I knew it was awful. <laughs> I knew it was awful because we see on Mumsnet all the time people, you know, um, feeling that there is no way the marketing industry is reflecting them mm -hmm. effectively or, or properly. But I didn't realise quite how bad it was. But, you know, we, we noticed that there were no people of colour in ads till really quite, you know, recently. 
Um, and there was this sort of moment around the war when suddenly it got quite empowering and then it all stopped again and it was, you know, wonder bras and hello boys again. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, it sort of reconfirmed the fact that mum's letters are always right about everything and marketing <laughs> is rubbish yeah, to, for women. Brian? Um, I mean, I think... I mean, I talk to clients all the time and I'm still amazed when you say to clients sometimes, you know, do you understand how women experience your brand different to men that they say no. Um, and I think increasingly um, asking clients that question, I mean, I was a client for half my career, you know, and actually I'm guilty, I wouldn't have asked that question. And for some categories like, you know, technology or automotive, we've seen financial services. I mean, not only do they not ask the question, they're woefully bad at it. And... Um, what that research said, I thought it was a great question about self-esteem um, and targeting because essentially you know, a brand is trying to differentiate itself by being very specific about who it's for, by definition who it's not. It raises some really interesting questions about what your brand is really all about. And so for me, um, self-esteem is a really important concept, is to build uh, people's self-esteem without destroying others. Um, and that, I think, is a really interesting progressive idea that we should take forward as an industry. Felipe, from, from a more academic perspective, you know, someone who studies, you know, as we do, uh, consumer behavior, um, was this you know, compelling to, to you from that perspective in terms of thinking about the psychology? Yeah, and there's, like you said, there's a lot to unpack there, right? <laughs> there, there's lots of moving parts as to what's happening there. Um, and that, that goes into how we educate uh, managers as they go through our programs or whatever it might be and how proper marketing should be done and how principles get ignored along the way just for because it's easy uh, when the creating segments and divisions in the marketplace where there isn't uh, just because it's easy to say man versus women when there's no such division uh, and that leads to really significantly bad business outcomes because you're actually forcing something to happen and along the same lines of the questions as to the, you're discussing that the self-esteem issue, it's really interesting in terms of, do you really understand your market are you, and you're delivering on a need that they've exhibited? Or are you actually forcing the market to create a need uh, to be destructive in that way, to make people want a product? Uh, just so the proper marketing and the proper thinking around it actually, if done correctly, addresses a lot of these issues. So, so I'm going to pick up on this notion of proper marketing. Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's almost we coordinated. It's convenient that you said that, because you know, as I was listening to the presentations and, and thinking about this topic more broadly, obviously there are certain brands uh, out there who who do it better than others, um, and you know, uh, we're not going to pick on the ones who don't do it well, perhaps. But I want to think about the ones that that are doing it really well as sort of great case studies. And some of them were sort of, or, or companies, holding companies were mentioned, like Diageo, for example. But who's doing it well? But more importantly, why are they doing it well? You know, what is it about getting this right or proper um, that you're seeing either by working with clients or, or um, you know, as, as being part of the, the steering committee for this, uh, for this initiative or just that you see out there? Justine, you want to... Yeah, well, sort of going back to my theme, I think not very much. Mm -hmm. but, um, but so we haven't come far in 100 No, but, um, but I suppose what the, the places where it does work well is when, I mean, I suspect, I don't know because I'm not a marketeer, where they've done really, really thorough research on the nuances that they're trying to portray. So, we, so our own research shows that there are, there are basically 66 identities of motherhood. 
Um, and most w mothers have six of them. And yet, if you think of all the ads about motherhood, there is one stereotype going on, which is you're harassed, you're busy, the man is sitting on the sofa drinking tea while you are basically preparing Christmas and you know, wrapping all the presents and all that kind of stuff. Um, but actually, what you know, motherhood is all about, people identify as being a lone mother or a mum of teenage people or a rural mother. So I think you can't, I think it's, it, it's impossible to, I think what they do is aggregate everything into one thing. Mm -hmm. And actually the ads that work well is when they spot the one truism that's really true and not a stereotype. Um, and then I think there's a whole other thing about showing authenticity and real people. So, you know, the Dove campaign was revolutionary because it showed real people. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, those are two things, I think, that need to be done, more research and more authenticity. Right, so I think you're saying you know, it comes from a real insight about real customers yeah. and not overgeneralization, stereotyping and so on, um, which, you know, for, for the best of intentions, perhaps marketers might want to be doing because they're trying to simplify things. But the world is a complex place, so <laughs> treat it with, with that. How about your perspective? What do you think? I was, um, so I think, I think um, if I look at big traditional brand spenders, uh, they're in a very different and difficult position compared to the, the massive and thriving small businesses that are setting up and, you know, what I'm familiar with, like using platforms like Instagram um, to connect with their customers. And so when I look at the brands that are building through those platforms, um, you know, they're a lot smaller, uh, they don't have huge research departments, they don't have huge budgets. Um, however, they are very, very quickly connected to customers because it's literally immediate. And um, so they're able to change the way they portray and like uh, tell their stories and like connect to the customers that they uh, are trying to appeal to in a, in a very, very uh, quick way and adjust it very quickly. Um, but the flip side is they don't have as much to lose because they haven't got these like kind of years of legacy and products and like product lines and brands and so it's we I think it's a really interesting space because actually who are, who I see it doing doing really well at this are the small thriving like kind of one man like kind of small businesses and there is a big discussion in the industry about whether they're brands or not now I would argue they are brands but it's just a new world of what a brand means in in the kind of Whereas, like, if you look at traditional businesses, I think they have got, like, a whole load of legacy issues, um, and they also d tie themselves in knots um, to try and connect with their customers, but they do it, like, kind of through these false mechanisms. They're still, like, out and valid, and don't want to criticise them, but they should be looking at some of these, like, kind of more nimble businesses because uh, they're much, much quicker to respond and to reflect um, what the conversation's saying in like in the customer base and uh, and show whether they you know agree with it don't agree with it and that sort of thing the Gillette example is a really good one like Gillette obviously meant that to be a really empowering message and they meant to like kind of get behind a movement um, and they they obviously weren't ex ex like expect I don't think they were expecting that huge divide mm -hmm. um, but because of the way they did it it was really difficult for them to then respond and like kind of get that message across whereas a uh, like the dollar shave club mm. would have been able to get it out really quickly so i think there's something there's, there's a few things there that immediately spring to mind that one is scale 
Yeah. And so maybe being smaller or at least acting smaller, more agile, nimble and, and so on, yep. allows you to not only respond faster, but, but learn quicker. Show that you're listening. Yeah. And show that you're listening. Mm. So it's, it's about, it, it sort of comes back to that, knowing your customer and not trying to overgeneralize. But I think there's probably something that I'm curious um, what others think about, it might also mean they know themselves better because they're more focused they're perhaps you know smaller or, or maybe growing and going through other sorts of pains as, as, as a growing business but they're not trying to be everything to everyone and they're maybe more clear in their own identity mm. internally i mean as a hypothesis i'm, I'm you know, literally speculating here but <laughs> curious i mean bart you're nodding so does that mean you agree or yeah i think i mean I mean, a, a simple, I mean, by the way, we had some great fun looking at the really, really bad examples of the ads <laughs> when we were creating the exhibition. In fact, I don't think Philip particularly liked some of them, wanted to hero the really bad. But I think the, um, <laughs> actually, the heroing the really good, there was humour there. Was humor there. <laughs> um, I, I think um, think thinking about the organisations in three simple buckets probably helps. So first of all, there are people who aren't even thinking about this yet. There are people who are thinking about this, trying really hard and doing what they can. And then there are people who don't even think it's an issue. Um, and a business like ASOS, when we got them involved, doesn't even think it's an issue. And the big difference between a business like them and the first category is, first of all, the consumer is entirely in their business already. So they don't think about you know, the consumer in the company, they think about them as one thing. And that's reflected in how they come up with ideas, how they develop communications, how they understand research. It's very much like the Mumsnet concept. You know, There are people who are constantly talking to them about what they're doing. Um, the, the ones that are in the middle bucket um, who are trying to do well tend to be the scale businesses that have you know, that Chinese whispers effect. If you're not quite clear about what your culture is or what you're about, um, by the time it goes across border, borders and categories and countries, you've kind of not quite heard the same thing. They're trying to put very simple frameworks in place around things like advertising where they ask questions about how the communications is landing uh, with, uh, with certain audiences and taking that to another level to ask some questions, really simple questions. I mean, Diageo was a great example where they had a framework where they literally said, how many women can you see in this communication? You know, as, as, as simple as that. And then very constructively and very positively evaluating that to say, what do we do about that? Um, and then a, a really basic thing is, uh, it's just it's so simple, it's ridiculous, is what proportion of men and women do you have in your marketing team and how are they focused on developing propositions? And uh, a bank like RBS is focused really hard at creating propositions for female consumers, quite simply by saying, have we got a 50-50 at least um, split of men and women who are creating these propositions? And it's, it's, you know, it's not rocket science, but I think it helps you work out where you get to. And it's not just volume, is it? It was agency as well. So Diageo noticed that anyone who had any agency in their ads was a man. So you never saw a female bartender. You only saw women sort of on hammocks looking pretty and giggling, all looking the same with long hair and thin. Um, so, yeah, it's partly about who's the, who's the sort of empowered person yeah. in the ad as well as just the number. And, and the culture of leadership that goes with that, which is, you know, Syl, who's the CMO, who's driving that through the organisations, not letting people get away with it. You know, it's just going kind of everybody has to go through this process, whether you're in Brazil, whether you're in America, whether you're in the UK, you know, South Africa, it's just one of those things they do now. Mm -hmm. Felipe, so sort of want to move to, before we open up to audience questions, think about where this is headed. 
Um, and maybe, you know, uh, from your perspective, as someone who teaches marketing here, um, you know, and we're you know, preparing the, the leaders of the future, who I think are already well and truly aware of these yep. issues and, and um, believe very strongly about uh, the change that is taking place and, and, and further needs to take place. But how do we, how do we think about, therefore, you know, future CMOs, future, future marketers, who have grown up being exposed to, you know, the bad advertising or, or the the the, the, uh, the wrong balances in portrayals in, in ads and, and other sorts of communications. How do we kind of change that from from within a business school? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually the in, interestingly enough, and I guess to a very good uh, situation for us is that these conversations are taking place in our classrooms right now, um, from discussions around uh, the marketing, the branding, uh, the strategy, uh, how you define your markets, how you define your teams, um, and how you transition a business from this old style of thinking to new style of thinking, how do you move forward? Uh, I know we didn't want to pick on uh, people that have done things poorly, uh, but I'll use an example of somebody that actually turned, has a redemption arc, as it were, mm -hmm. uh, that we've discussed in, in class over the past year is a reintroduction of American Apparel, um, who actually had a pretty aggressive negative treatment of women on their advertising, uh, very much towards the objective kind of aspect to sell sexy. And they've gone on to actually, it's still sexy, but from a position of power, an agency reverts to the woman in all depiction as opposed to just the object being depicted. And that reposition of the company actually then allows uh, for recapture of the marketplace and so on. So uh, just designing and understanding these processes from the teaching and how to operate. So even if you encounter a difficult situation like that one was, where they lost leadership in the company to allow it for re a reset, mm -hmm. a new leader can go in and take even the most difficult case and turn it into a positive example moving forward. And as we've seen uh, with the presentation program before, it's marketing has power in this environment because it's not just a reflection of society, uh, but then it's a mirror showing back as to what it could be. Uh, and people will respond back in the future. And I think we have a strong role in that. So let's, let's pick up on that and then I'll, uh, I'll give the audience a chance to ask questions. I'll hog up for one more thing. Um, on this responsibility of marketing and sort of the power of marketing to to affect I mean, basically culture, to affect psychology and sociology. It, it, it sounds lofty, but I think it's a real responsibility. So how do we, how else can we take that responsibility very seriously, but do in a way that uh, is still commercially viable, um, makes sense, is practical, uh, works in large companies and small companies and everything in between. Clearly not a one-size-fits-all approach and not a simple answer, but curious to hear what, what you think in terms of you know, how marketing cannot just say, yes, we have this responsibility and, and, and uh, you know, start the conversation, but actually really drive through um, some. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Change and some results. How do we, how do, we do that as an industry? Are we at the beginning of that or, or when, what do we do? I think your premise is interesting because I think what a lot of the research has proven is there's actually a missed opportunity by not mm -hmm. showing that responsibility. So I'll just give you one amazing stat that blew me away, which is 8% of the marketing budgets in the UK go towards the, the targeting the over 55s mm -hmm. and 80% of the wealth in the UK is held by the over 55s. So, you know, it, it, this isn't about being virtuous. Yeah. This is about missing an opportunity. Yeah. I talked about um, when we were review reviewing this and what some one of the outcomes we wanted to uh, investigate and uh, was how do we get some measurement that that businesses will use to benchmark themselves, mm -hmm. and that we as an industry can then use to say to highlight best practice and. You know, yeah, I was tongue in cheek wanting some worse practice as well. Because, <laughs> like, there's a stick and a carrot through everything. Like, um, I mean, Bart spoke about it. Uh, you know, Diageo already have like kind of some great measures that you can use. Um, I know that, you know, we're like kind of Facebook are looking into um, uh, their own measures, and uh, many companies are doing that. I think measuring it is one way. And then, uh, this is going to sound trite, but start by starting. If your marketing isn't leading by example, then, then you're not going to affect change because people need examples to, to look at and to point to. So there's a, a number of things. We did a, a big push on like beauty and what beauty is now in, in, like kind of in this decade. And, um, and we took that and shared it with a lot of our clients. And so we were showing like, you know, ladies who have facial hair and um, completely like transgenders and that sort of thing. And it was really interesting the responses that got because some people saw that as, I really understand what you're trying to do and that is beautiful and that is unique. And then we also got like, uh, you know, differences opinions that really divided people and that, and I, I even got criticism saying, I'm not sure that was a good execution. And I was like, no, that was a brilliant execution. <laughs> uh, and, and so it takes a little bravery as well because there's, everyone has an opinion about marketing. That is what, what, you know, how many of us have sat there where someone's come into the room and said, well, you know, I've spoken to my wife or my husband last night and like, you know, I really didn't like that. And it was like, well, I, I actually, yeah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, you know that, that so everyone has an opinion of marketing and and it's a tool not just to uh, affect change outside but it actually affects morale inside companies as well so if you don't start by starting then you're not being the change that you want to see yeah that's, i think we i mean we spoke at length and we as a steering committee about what happens now and the legacy piece of this was really critical um 
Philip has already mentioned one measurement. If we can provide long-term measurement where people can benchmark themselves, that's hugely important. The second was um, structures, frameworks, practical principles that brand businesses can use to make progress. Um, and we then identified there were three critical audiences, uh, one which is not surprising, which is the industry, so CMOs and people who run agencies, but two that were. Um, one was schools and education. We felt that actually the educational side of this is really critical and getting that nice and early. But the thing that we felt was probably most impactful was to get into the city, into the investment community, because actually it's the cost of not doing this, to Justine's point, that actually is the thing you need to think about in terms of future value for businesses. And really that's where this goes next, as it says, you know, I'm looking to organisations that are doing this well, and I'll invest in those that look like they've got a replicable model for succeeding. All right, yeah, I mean, that, that stat actually that we heard a lot earlier around the 3.1 billion versus 4.1 billion for male-only or oriented brands versus more balanced or also more female-inclusive ones, I mean, that, that should open up some minds in the city. Uh, or let, let's hope so. Um, so over to, to you, the audience, uh, some time for questions for our panelists. Yeah, so um, I have a son who's 10, and uh, my biggest, the thing that, that I really hate the most is the advertising to children. So I myself do a lot of research on gender, and um, I think it starts very early that the advertising industry classifies children as, you know, you're the boy and you're the girl and let's have everything pink for the girls and blue for the boys. And um, <clears throat> I don't think we can fix any of this stuff if we don't fix what's going on with the children. And I'd be interested in hearing your views on that. Justine, go ahead. I completely agree. And actually, um, the Fawcett Society are about to do a big piece of work around this um, this is primary school age children and the, the marketing to them. And, and out of Mumsnet, there's been an organisation called Let Toys Be Toys, which is actively campaigning against stereotypes. I think it's about money. I think the, you know, they actually differentiate on pricing. Identical products in pink and blue can be priced differently. Um, and Lego have said that they've, you know, it's hard to cut down the range because they sell less. Um, but I think the, the way to deal with it is to shine a big light on it and embarrass these companies um, um, out of doing it. So that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> so there's a community out there that might do that. Just to make one point on that. Actually, there's a, the bold leadership point is really critical. If you, I don't know how public it is, the Mattel case study on Barbie is actually really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, they made some decisions about what they did in marketing Barbie that were commercially destructive for them in the first instance for a long-term payback. So lots of different models, different colours, different shapes, different sizes. You can imagine the industrialisation of a plastic doll is the best way to make, you know, kind of huge amounts of money. But the boldness to say, actually, we need to think about this in a much broader and more inclusive way. And it's a great case study, you know, everything from... You know, dads playing with uh, Barbies with their girls to dads playing to, with Barbies with their boys. And just kind of going out there and going, actually, this is normalising it. And it, it takes bold leadership. Right, how about another question? Um, so I would like to ask your opinion on how companies should prioritise. So when it comes to inclusivity, there's a lot of different dimensions. So it raised gender, um, safe sizes and things. Then uh, with companies, when, when you actually um, consult companies, for example, then um, with limited budget and also just one advertisement and one image to show what they should prioritise. 
Um, and just um, a side note on that is um, when it comes to um, the, uh, I, I really want to have a shout out to Mothercare because I've, I've seen they have a new campaign about postpartum uh, moms with different sizes and bodies. And I think it's, it's a brilliant example of inclusivity. Under those conditions, it's probably particularly hard if I have one piece of creative to address the world. Um, but I'd, or from my perspective, I'll default to whatever you have a legitimate claim on um, so that you're speaking to your brand and to your target audience as opposed to trying to be everything to everyone and just like you, you have to own a piece of this. And then from a societal perspective, it becomes everybody's issues to contribute. But for you as a brand, you should probably speak to where your voice is strongest and loudest, whether it's Gillette talking to men or uh, mom's not talking about moms. Like, you know, like there's a, you have a place where you have a, a legitimate claim and a stronger voice. I'd start there. Okay. Another question. Uh, thank you for the great discussion. So um, as gender is obviously an important aspect of marketing, of branding, and of strategy, and it's obviously very relevant and it's not going away. I was just wondering, you know, is it something that we should actually always be including in what we do? So not just when we're segmenting or focusing on gender, you know, um, in the previous presentation, there was the, from the hold her gaze, there was the I contain multitudes and even in psychology you look at humans hold multiple identities. So at the same time that I am a student, I am also a woman and I am also American. Um, so is it actually something not just that we should be discussing more, but that something that should always be in what we do in marketing? Answers yes, but um, it, you know, segmentation now has become incredibly. You know, when I started out, the segmentation was like a demographic, and you know, some very basic stuff that you could normally see. Like, but you'd ask the question, and now it's getting down to to your point of like <coughs> attitudinal, like how people see themselves, not necessarily like how they are, cognitive diversity, and. To find that out, uh, like the amount of data that, you, that people are willing to share, um, and then how you interpret that is a real art and, and like kind of a very, very like kind of important skill. And, and I think, you know, yes, and like yes, we absolutely should. That should be the basic that we always ask. Um, but now I think we've got access to so much more, and people are willing to give you so much more if it means they get a better service or if it means they get a better experience or if they get a better product that's more personalized to them. So uh, it's almost like brands' responsibilities now to not just ask that question, but ask a hell of a lot more to understand what the drivers are behind somebody. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's an interesting point about, um, it sort of partly relates to your point about, we've got to think beyond advertising. I think it's easy to think about advertising. Actually, marketing is so much more now. It's multidimensional in the true sense of the word. And I think targeting, um, and segmentation, I think, as a result, is much more um, fragmented as well. So I think it's the intelligence in the, in the data and the way that's applied in a relevant and personal way that's going to be the most powerful thing. And that's actually, it's partly data science, it's partly strategy, and then it's partly media and channel uh, management. And, I, you know, we clearly haven't got it right yet, you know, for whatever reason. But I think if you really understand circumstantially uh, what people are looking for at one point in time and then you can put behind that who the real person is um, you'll be incredibly successful so it's just good marketing at the end, end of the day yeah and I, th I think also it's as you said you know you have multiple identities we, we are all more than just basic demographic variables 
and uh, to the extent that marketers can think about people in terms of who they really are, maybe gender or age or other sort of demographics, are part of a much more nuanced and complex puzzle that makes up who we are. But there's you know, obviously uh, attitudes and behaviors and interests and all sorts of other things. That's a better way to do marketing if we're thinking about segmentation and targeting than going for the maybe easily observable um, but, but, but far too uh, generic ways of, of thinking about um, consumers and customers out there in the marketplace. Um, so please go ahead. And if, if you, like kind of especially in the um, courses that you're doing now, if you haven't chosen a like specialism, then I would highly recommend <laughs> choosing that data analytics and the interpretive like skills of that because <laughs> there are there <laughs> are there are many companies that are paying a premium to get people before they even leave mm -hmm. their course because that they are like few and far between. That's um, that's what companies are looking for today. Yeah, just add one more thing um, because I've seen and I've heard and we've had a lot of these conversations about like moving away from demographics and understanding and so on, but people eventually work their way backwards into a trap where they go, okay, and then the final decisions are target is men 18 to 35, which is completely meaningless, but it's just, they did the fault back. Um, so I think taking out of here in this discussion is like, okay, you've, you've had this conversation, you've had this discussion, you've heard that this is not the right way to do it, so actually push back when people default back to these old standards and saying, okay, yeah, like saying women are all the same, like, you know, this is my segment and assuming that half of the population characterizes, you know, is characterized by one slice is actually absurd. And then using the data and understanding to say that different people in different occasions at different times have different needs that, I mean, to the point that you said three versus four, you know, valuation and from there's money on the table for doing this correctly we just have to fight back against this urge to simplify it's, a, uh, it's just a well-formed muscle that like has, yep. has been really created is. in the industry <laughs> but one of the things that a lot of um, our customers are, uh, are struggling with is like ephemerality because um, you might be playing a role going through one customer journey like you need some trainers you're going to do like kind of a jump like run da 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 and then, um, and then you disappear um, because people are smart now about how they control their, um, their personas online. And then they turn up again they, and they're a different person because they're on a different journey and like, they're wanting different things. And, and the imagination, and, and I mean, you're seeing it on the way people are using like, social media platforms now as well. Like Stories are much more widely adopted than having like, kind of like this trail of um of saved you know social footprints because people don't want that um and it's the same with a, a shopper journey or a, like an, an individual going through they're they're turning up they're getting what they want out of that journey and they're disappearing and companies are like really struggling with the thinking that what do you mean i have to customize for every single unique journey and it's a different way of thinking and that's that you know that i think the companies you're absolutely right they need to completely reform a muscle that they haven't got most effective marketing by far on Mumsnet and Grandsnet is um, engaged marketing, where actually effectively what the marketer is doing is asking the user group what they want and designing the product on the hoof, mm -hmm. um, including the packaging, the advertising, the product itself, um, that, and then getting an endorsement badge from the, in, and then you know reselling re re that back to the community, and that's much more effective we've found than anything else. 
Okay, we've got time for one more question before we uh, unfortunately have to wrap up this discussion. So perhaps uh, over there, please. Thank you. Actually, just now hearing you guys talk, I thought about something I wanted to ask, which is so far advertisement has actually been successful, the advertising industry, um, and they have not reflected um, uh, societies, d the diversity that we see in society. So maybe people don't want to look in the mirror and see themselves. Maybe we want this, you know, fake uh, idealistic, I mean, uh, on an ethical level, I don't actually believe that this should be the case, mm -hmm. but in, in some sense, like, if at the end of the day, like, these companies want to make money, um, they're not in the business of ethics, um, I think. So then maybe whatever they're doing is effective. So why, why, why question, why, why stir the pot, I guess? Oh gosh, I mean, it's like, <laughs> there's, a, there's actually about three questions in there, but I think the, um, I think probably the biggest one is, I mean, marketing and advertising has never really just been about holding up a mirror to, to customers, it's, um, and even what we're talking about here is not doing that, so it does require aspiration, it does require emotional benefit as well as functional benefit. I think the difference between um, uh, aspiration and self-esteem is changing. So I think actually the author what authenticity means matters more now and is also more transparent to so many more people through so many different media. So in the old world, you know, you could use a sledgehammer to crack a nut by putting, you know, a big advert on television, reach most of the population, and actually what it did was generate awareness. So it was probably actually not a very efficient model at driving demand. Now, actually your perceptions are not just driven by that one commercial, they're dri driven by a whole host of experiences. So the combination of your authenticity and aspiration have to, have to match. And so actually, you know, your situations and the brand and what it stands for have to be authentic in all moments. And never is that just about saying, you're like this, you know, you should have that. It's saying, you know, you're like this. Actually, you, you might like something like that and this makes you feel good. And that's a much more difficult and nuanced task. Um, so actually, I think the model, in a way, has got much more efficient, but it's actually much harder to get right. I, I agree. I think social media has changed everything. I mean, if you just look at politics and how that's changed. Politics has had to move on, um, but marketing has to as well. And I think you cannot get away with broadcasting one thing and doing something else now in this today's world. And I think you do have to be authentic, although it's a very good point. You don't have to be so realistic that you lose all aspiration. Go ahead. I think, um, just to go on that, it has to evolve. And um, Advertising used to be about um, distracting or um, presenting something to people that they didn't know that they wanted and capitalising on that. And um, I think, you know, to, Mar to Bart's point, that advertising now needs to be additive. It needs to add to someone's experience. Um, they don't want to be distracted. And actually, they can cut it out if they want out of most of, like, you know, their lean out. Like, you know, when you're consuming TV now, you don't have to watch adverts. You can cut them out. Um, when you're, like, walking along the street, most people are walking like that. <laughs> so you're not going to see what's going on like, around you. And... So, so instead of it, um, you know, being inserted or disruptive, I think people need to start thinking, and we certainly do, about how um, that can be 
um, engaging. And, and we went through a phase, probably, uh, maybe we're still in it, I don't know, where it's like kind of more infotainment and, you know, gamifying like advertising. But I think it needs to be more than that. It needs to genuinely enhance somebody's experience so that they actually find it additive. And if, if it's done like that, then it will be like kind of more successful because it is engaging and it feels authentic to, oh, I was looking for that, oh, that's useful to me, uh, rather than, uh, can you just get out of the way, I need to shut you down because I'm trying to actually read this thing. Um, and I, so I think that's how we need to think about it. It's a very different, very different way of thinking about adverts. And, and I think just to, to put in a plug for some, uh, some research that actually we did here, um, Felipe and I did as part of the Future Marketing Initiative with Kantar uh, and Facebook, um, is it, it exactly backs up that point in terms of the brands that carry themselves in a more authentic, social, human manner um, perform better in terms of driving um, high-level brand performance uh, in advertising in a social media environment because they're being true to that environment, they're not distracting, they're, they're inserting themselves where it's appropriate and with a tone and a human way of doing that that, that just fits in better. Um, so, you know, this is backed up by, by some science too, um, which, uh, which we always like to, to have here at Oxford. So with that, I uh, will have to draw the panel to a close. I want to thank our four wonderful panelists, Philippa, Justine, Bart and Felipe. Please give them a round of applause. You've been listening to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.cantar.com or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.